Malcolm, oh, excuse me, Dr. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday at JM and the AM. Dr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I say doctor because we had the uh, we had the privilege of eavesdropping and uh, and eaves watching. I guess we would say uh, this past Monday, uh, a day in advance at Bar Ilan University in Israel, of you receiving an honorary doctorate, and all of a sudden on our app we have listeners who are berating me for not addressing you properly. They want to hear the title doctor. Well, it's an honorary cause, but it's my fourth. So you wow. call me doctor, 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 doctor. But <laughs> maybe we'll frankly, just say maybe we'll just say doctor. Still good enough, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. And I appreciate how many people told me that they listened. Yeah, it was nice uh, to the to the broadcast and. Uh, you know, interest that it generated. You know, you remind, you frankly reminded me, and the archives available, folks, nachumsigel.com. You reminded me, by the way, of an old line uh, that my father used to quote from some of his congregants when he would give a fire and brimstone speech. The congregant would walk over to him after a don alum and say, Rabbi, you sure gave it to them today. <laughs> <laughs> And boy, and boy, you you were in you were in rare form in letting us have it on Monday during that speech at Bar Ilan University. I can tell you that much. Uh, and by the way, what I just said moments ago is a perfect reflection of that because one of the things you're most frustrated by, rightfully so, is apathy. You are frustrated when people don't get involved. They don't realize the impact that they can have literally on Jewish history if they would get involved. And in this case, at the minimum, can we at least get people to call the White House and acknowledge what the president has done? I'm sure you would recommend that as a small step, that's a good idea. Akarasatov, in this case, is certainly called for, and it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. You should thank uh, the president and the members of the administration for the action. It's certainly a courageous action, and for his action in regard to the Iran um, deal, whether, again, you favor the pullout or not. I think saying that he, he took a courageous act and that we want to see now further action taken to make sure that Iran cannot continue both its nuclear program, but it's also its aggressions in many air, in, in the region and beyond around the world and the ballistic missiles, its weaponization. There are many other aspects. But if the, if the White House doesn't hear from us, then it's our fault. Yeah, and we speak to people literally around this entire nation i mean we we see you know different communities represented in terms of listener response everybody out there i mean no matter where you are all across the us and maybe even malcolm might even argue it's more effective outside of the new york area just get on the phone contact and if people are in europe and play other places right. write your governments and say it's time to support it 100% get on the phone call the white house email the white house so easy these days email the white house put jerusalem in the subject line let them know you at least care and that you're happy with the, uh, assuming that you're happy, happy with what's happening in Israel. I see for, you had this in the Daily Alert. Apparently it's a $400,000 budget to convert uh, the consulate into an embassy for Monday. Uh, it doesn't sound like that outrageous a bill, frankly. And I would guess that everything is set for Monday. Or is, does it look like, I, first of all, I would assume it's going to be one of the most secure places in the world. <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> but as far as you know, I would guess uh, they're all set for Monday ceremony. 
They are all set. The signs are already pointing to the embassy are up in Jerusalem. The the roads have been paved by the United States as security roads. Wow. The, and the um, but but we have to remember this is an existing facility. It's not a new facility. It was right. just uh, adjusted and and fixed up in order to accommodate uh, the embassy. But the staff of the embassy is going to remain in in Tel Aviv for now, and probably as I said all along, it will take. Um, seven years, eight years, nine years to, to 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 build a building. There is a property next to, adjacent to the existing uh, facility, which is now used as a consular building, uh, and will be the uh, embassy. Uh, then construction will begin sometime in the future for a permanent building, and then people will move from Tel Aviv. Although I assume that building will become a consular facility. Uh, the president and vice president will not be there. Can we assume that as opposed to a security issue, it probably is a scheduling issue, and, and that's the reason why they can't be there on Monday? Yes, and I know that the vice president is going to participate in an event that I'll attend uh, Monday night at the embassy, and there is an event in the White House Monday morning, so it's, I think it's just a scheduling issue. And remember, the president was there not long ago and has an upcoming trip to North Korea that he has to prepare for. So it's uh, I, I, people should not misinterpret it. Their, their position has been very clear. Yeah, I know people want to hear about Iran, and we will in a second, but we should acknowledge that yet another country, Paraguay in this case, has announced that they're going to be moving their embassy to Jerusalem. And if I remember correctly, I, I, you know, we've been doing this a long time. Am I correct that one of your meetings, one of your conference trips is once to Paraguay, or am I thinking of a different uh, a group? Um, am I right or wrong? We had planned a trip to Paraguay, and but we hosted the president here in New York and um, have met with him uh, several times, actually. He's, he's very pro-Israel, but he's, he's outgoing. So they are trying the, the current president wants to do it yet in his term which expires in the near future and um and they're not going to be alone you know Honduras is going to move its embassy and mm-hmm. we hope to be able to visit there and encourage him as we did with the president of Guatemala who will be coming the day after uh, the dedication in Jerusalem of the US embassy and he is going to open the Guatemala embassy in Jerusalem and the Czech Republic. Others have said that they will they will join. Yeah, you know it's funny. We we sometimes forget. We concentrate so much on Latin America and South America having you know some of the uh, you know terror cells that we fear from around the world. The truth is that uh, both regions do have great supporters of Israel within them. They do, and there's a growing evangelical community there, uh, the evangelical Christian community, who are extremely supportive of Israel and uh, make their voices heard. I, we met them when I went to see President Morales in Guatemala, and they were really very supportive, very wonderful, and worked together with the uh, American evangelical community. And this is a, it's, it's, a, it's the fastest growing movement in, in South America. Hmm, very cool. Malcolm Honlines with us again. We congratulate him on the, uh, uh, the um, uh, doctoral degree that uh, Barlon University bestowed upon him earlier this week. Friday morning broadcast at JMM, and you know what everyone's anxious to hear. Let's get to the Iran deal. Um, so, for I mean, I would assume most of this audience is familiar. Center. Oh, that's not what you meant. What is it? I'm sorry. I said that's not what you meant, but that I'm going to be at the Riverdale Jewish oh! Center this Shabbos. Oh, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Riverdale Jewish Center this coming Shabbos, Malcolm Holmline. Do you know how many times they've asked you to speak? 
Well, the public appearances are after Musaf on Shabbos morning, and then at Shalashudas, I think, or after Mincha. Well, you're going to give it to them, huh? <laughs> no, they're a great community and very active community, so I don't know what I have to give to them. I will try to offer to them some insights. But uh, Hey, somebody in Riverdale, do me a favor, walk up to Malcolm after the speech and tell him, <laughs> boy, Malcolm, you really gave it to them. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you. All right, so most of us are familiar, and this audience certainly is familiar with what the president did, but now, practically speaking, so, so are sanctions going to be reinstated? When will that happen? Whose decision is it? How does that work? It's a decision of the United States. It will, they will, it will take some time, and they have to give notice to businesses and others to give them uh, different periods of time, depending on the business, to, to get out. Um, automotive, uh, airlines, air, others have 90 days, 180 days. Wow. Uh, but in the meantime, new sanctions will be developed and will be applied. And as we see Iran continuing its aggression and its aggressive a- a- actions, uh, we see that it expands now in Morocco, where, where uh, Morocco broke diplomatic relations with Iran uh, because they, uh, they've they been supplying through their embassy in Algiers SAM-9 and SAM-11 missiles, uh, which are surface-to-air, and uh, Stella, Stella rockets. Uh, to the Polisario, which is in a hotly contested area, as you know, and uh, the Arab League has backed Morocco in, it, in its action, but it's only one of many, many examples uh, that it's not just a nuclear program, it's Iran's aggression, it's Iran's human rights violations, it's Iran's ballistic missile, the weaponization, uh, the evidence of its uh, nuclear program, so many things that, that we want to see covered and, and addressed. But the message that, that Iran got from Israel this week, but also from the United States backing of Israel, the message of the president's action, uh, I think are very important because dictators probe for weakness. And when they find this kind of resolute response, they go and, and reassess. Now, I don't know what the North Korean dictator's intentions are and whether he's just playing it out. The likelihood is that we may, we may find more problematic things in the future and whether he's really ready to denuclearize. Uh, but the fact is that you have negotiations, you have the release of the three Americans and other steps um, being taken. So then the next step will be the Treasury Department, which has developed and will develop additional sanctions. And countries and companies will have to make a decision because the president in his statement said that they will punish countries that continue to trade and support Iran's uh, uh, program. Iran's economy is in freefall. Its currency is at the lowest level. I think it was 7,000, 7,500 to the dollar officially, but unofficially many times that. And the unemployment is high. And the people will be prepared to take on these uh, additional burdens if it means that the government will allow more freedom, if the uh, government will be replaced. Regime change has not been the goal of the United States or anybody else in this uh, in, in these activities. But the you know, but given the fact that the IRGC and the Supreme Leader control 40% of the economy, things that test it are, are going to affect them very much and their ability to fund a lot of these activities. Remember, we gave them $150 million when we signed the deal, which goes... Money uh, we're not getting back. Money, And they spent $13 billion just in Syria. Wow. And, and, and they are spending billions on Hezbollah, billions uh, around the world. They
have in Africa uh, seminaries with 6,000 people being trained. These are in the Khamenei's leadership uh, as radical uh, imams that will, and, and every African leader complains about it. So we have uh, Iran the, the, uh, expanding its activities, and I think that the um, uh, the need for this kind of decisive action, and I hope that the Europeans will come up now and uh, and stand up right and decide that it's time for them to read the riot act to, to Iran and not give them a safety net to continue uh, trade. But the fact is that companies will have to make a decision. Do you want to trade with Iran or you want to trade with the United States? Wow. And it's not an easy decision. Do you know that Israel, which has 10% of the population of Iran, has uh, an equal GDP, gro- uh, gross domestic product? Wow. It's it's and and with a population ten times the size, and the foreign investment in Israel is four times Iran. So you know that the the vulnerability of its economy and its uh, the potential leverage that we have, and a lot of the companies who announced these multi-billion dollar deals never consummated them because they were always reluctant of the Airbus two hundred planes that they were supposed to sell, I think four were delivered. Now, this is a very important in the Boeing sale because these are supposedly commercial airlines, but we know that they're using them to aid and abet their activities in Syria. And uh, the, the domestic civilian airlines, Mahan and others, were used in uh, supplying weapons and transporting troops, etc. And how many did they officially buy? 200 and, Airbus. And, and only a couple have been delivered? Four. So what happens to that deal? Does that does that get? Uh... That's a very good question. So uh, Boeing, I think, will will have to, especially Boeing. Now, Airbus is European based, but but does a lot of business in the United States, and nobody wants to lose it. And the fact is that they have such backlog of orders that losing the Iranian deals will not so seriously adverse uh, adversely affect them. And in fact, if you look at their prices in the stock market, did not. Drop uh, significantly. Uh, the oil went up a little bit, but Saudi Arabia said that they will uh, they will cushion the blow, and uh, it may go up for a short while. But I think it will stabilize because there is there are sources of oil, including the United States now, um, that uh, we're not dependent on foreign oil. So I think a lot of the concerns that are being raised are uh, are not necessarily ones that will be uh, acted upon. All right, I got a bunch of questions. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. All right, so let's start with this before I ask you about the European reaction. Uh, the question is, and this has been you know bandied about in the press so much this week. What is the what is the logical answer? You're probably going to be asked this, by the way, this Shabbos. Frankly, what is the logical answer uh, when someone says, "How on earth will North Korea trust the United States if they see that the U.S. can't keep a deal with Iran?" That North Korea will see that the United States stands by its allies, protects its friend, and if you want to be protected. You better be a friend of the United States. That the um, uh, that this deal uh, was flawed, and that the United States had the right to pull out as it did, and that the, the Iran had been violating it, and the the it, it violated on its very premise. The problem isn't uh, that that they withdrew. The problems that are being pointed to 
are those that we got into it in the first place, that we accepted a deal that was uh, flawed, and uh, the anxiousness with which uh, the parties um, pursued Iran to get this deal, rather than in, in, in including in it other provisions, the sunset clauses, which would have enabled them in the seven years, which is very brief time, uh, and the very fact that they lied. We know from uh, the material that was released, and the people are all debating, well, is it new stuff? Is it not new stuff that Israel found? First, we don't know what they found because 90% of it is not made public. But what it does prove is that they lied when they said, we have never, we will never, we never sought it, we will never manufacture it, we'll never purchase nuclear weapons. Clearly, they had a nuclear weapons program. And I think we could say they have a nuclear weapons program. Yeah, that's been, that's been proven. Uh, also, the impression was, and I don't know if we blame the press for this one as well, but the impression was in advance of the decision by President Trump that Macron, Merkel, Macron certainly more than Merkel, were, were sort of ready to you know to to give in to the united states's demands that that we've got to really analyze this deal and if necessary we got to leave this deal and then it happens and they're among the first to criticize the us for doing it weren't you under the same impression that that france certainly under his leadership was was, was sort of acquiescing acquiescing to the united states's you know suggestion that that iran is simply not trustworthy here well, I certainly think that they feel that uh, Iran is not trustworthy. I think even Merkel and others uh, would agree. The question that they raise is what's the best way to address it? Uh, is pulling out or engaging or, you know, turning the screws in other ways, still adding additional sanctions, uh, but staying in the deal because it affords some protections um, that the, the uh, but but the Europeans know full well. Iran is active in Europe. Remember how many uh, there are agents that killed people there, the uh, activities they have to radicalize um, um, Muslim immigrants and others. Uh, they know the danger Iran uh, poses. They know the attempts to undermine regimes, pro-Western regimes in, in the Middle East. But Europe has never uh, shown or rarely shows itself as uh, bastions of of glory and courage when it comes to situations like this. They pursue the dollar, they pursue the, uh, the economic benefits, and uh, look for the easy way. You remember when the uh, what Churchill once said about a, the pursuit of appeasement, that it's, uh, you know, feeding the crocodile in the hope that it'll lead you last. Right. Well, that's what we've seen. Europe is, is paying the price. And as in other matters related to this, the security, we see the, the results of it in the deteriorating situations there. Um, I know it's irrelevant now, but I'm just curious what you think. Could he have? Would, would Trump have done this without Bibi and Bibi's presentation? Would he have done it without the uh, immediacy right after the big presentation and reveal by the Prime Minister of Israel? The president said this when he was running. The president said it after he was elected. And uh, I think that uh, this is something certainly consistent with his views. They have the administration was adding uh, sanctions. By the way, even during the Obama years, sanctions were being added. But the the president made very clear his feelings about this early on. I watched some of the file footage that was shown in, in the late night and uh, analysis of uh, what was happening, and it showed him in, in various forms 
saying this. I think Netanyahu's information, Israel's information, uh, bolstered the case and I think only gave further uh, justification for it. By the way, I, I want to point out, uh, one week ago, and anybody wants to hear the archive, they can, you you also warned us that if, if the U.S. pulls out of this deal, there's a lot of different things that are going to be, you know, juggled up and down and that, you know, that we have to be wary of. It's not simple. It's not a simple thing to just back out and, and think that, uh, you know, things can continue, you know, as is, so to speak, from that point forward. That the That there are... Uh, the complications that right. they, you have to address. But the fact is that when you come out in very unequivocal terms and you put the markers down, America is a great power. America matters. And I think America is being seen again as mattering. Right. Uh, also, I, I didn't know the answer to this. People asked me this week. I, I don't remember when, when France and Germany and other European countries and God knows how many other countries came out, uh, you know, encouraging the U.S. or throughout this whole process, you know, encouraged uh, President Obama at the time to, to do the deal and, you know, hop the board, etc. Was the U.N. active in any of this? The U.N. doesn't have resolutions or outspoken statements about the Iran deal pro or con, does it? The U.N. supports it, certainly. And that means what? That there was an actual resolution in the in the, uh, in the the um, U.N. body or in the Security Council? Or sure. I don't, How come I don't remember that? So did they react to it? Did the U.N. Uh, react to it this week after he made the decision? No, well, they were critical of the decision and had urged him not to pull out. But um, but there are two levels there. There are Security Council resolutions, like on missiles, missile proliferation. You also have the NPT, the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which... Iran is clearly violating, and um, you know there there have been expressions of concern about Iran and Iran's nuclear program, but the the actions uh, of the United States. And remember, when Secretary Kerry made the rounds, I mean he he, he negotiated with the Iranians and uh, worked with the Europeans to on the deal and constructing the deal itself. Uh, and I think, uh, uh, and Secretary Munoz, the Secretary of Energy, who was involved in it uh, as well. And there are a lot of people who are questioning, especially because of his uh, his activities in, in recent uh, weeks where he seemed to have been counseling, or at least reported to have been counseling the, the Iranians on uh, the deal. And he is John Kerry. Yes, and uh, he and President Obama pretty outspoken uh, in in uh, the aftermath of President Trump's decision. They, they well, they have a legacy to protect, right? And um, yeah, I get that. And you know, they're seeing the legacy that the president, in general, from Obamacare, all the right. different aspects of it. Um, Disintegrating. All right, now to the second part that everybody's curious about. So I don't even know if we need to use the word alleged or not because I can't can't follow in the news who's taking credit for what. But we know that in the aftermath of the decision uh, by President Trump, so it, it seems that rockets uh, came raining from Syria uh, on Israel. They were intercepted by Iron Dome, right? Yes, sir. And well, four were four. And only four of the missiles were taken down by Iron Dome. The others, most of them, landed in Syrian territory. Ah, okay. And um, or in open areas, not a single target was hit. Right. And um, right, that's the reports point. that they, that the Iranians put out about the damage that they caused were not true. All right, so um, not surprising. So Israel reacts or allegedly reacts again. I'm not sure what the proper term is right now, um, and uh, starts hitting Iranian installations in Syria. So first of all. 
How successful were they? I mean, do we know the total number of Iranian installations? Do we know how many miles or kilometers they take up and how much damage Israel did? So Israel did a lot of damage. They hit 50 sites. And the reports that they're only around the, the southern uh, Damascus in the south are not true, even though some sources that are usually reliable on these issues uh, have said it. It, it, it is not true. The, um, they eliminated the vast majority of Iran's physical presence in, in Syria. You know and that. Yeah. That includes five uh, anti-aircraft installations that were firing missiles at Israel, um, probably Syrian. And, you know, Syria was told to stay out of it. it uh, it's not a target. They're not trying to get rid of the regime, but, but stay out of this. Right. Um, the, the targets that were hit with missiles and stuff it was obviously well-planned, and there are maps that are available online which show you the different locations that were missile depots, arms cache, other things, other facilities. And as it, it'll take many years for them to rebuild. It would be easy for Israeli personnel to tell if Syria did get involved, right? It would not, it, it's not difficult for them to tell the difference between uh, an Iranian attack from in Syria or a Syrian attack. They're able to monitor the, the origins of where the missiles are coming from. That's why when Israel hit back earlier at certain uh, Syrian facilities, they also... Uh, are holding Iran to account, and they've said it. Right. They've told the Iranians, we will hold you to account for any rockets that come across. The Syrian, obviously, the, the Russians and, and others were alerted and, and, you know, stayed out of it, essentially, because Iran, Syria um, hosts, uh, you know, Russian anti-aircraft systems, et cetera, so they, none of them were fired. The the initial blast of... Uh, of um, Rockets, 20 rockets that were fired into Israel, they can tell where they were coming from. You can see it, by the way, most of it. And these facilities are, were also often underground. And I've been told, uh, I'm say carefully, that uh, um, the rockets, the Iranians took the rockets out of silos and stuff because they wanted to fire them. So they put them in position to fire, and then Israel eliminated them. Wow. Uh, doesn't all this have to come to a rather quick, peaceful calm? Because, and, and, and included in that, the possibility of Monday's May 14th uh, Day of Rage, because uh, Tuesday is Ramadan, and isn't there a tradition that uh, that war and attacks and missile strikes don't take place during that month? No. There, there are <laughs> terrorism attacks during Ramadan. Some people say they're even ratcheted up, and because people go to the mosque more often, they get incited and excited, uh, and they're hungry during the day. But the um, um, the, the so the, I don't think there's any correlation with the reduced uh, incidents. Second, um, I think if you have a calm, it's because Iran's abilities to do stuff has been sharply reduced. The, the, uh, there are concerns that uh, facilities, Israeli and Jewish facilities outside of Israel could be targeted where you don't need to use rockets and other things. But we've seen in the past where there were uh, attacks either on a synagogue, could be, you know, remember the Amiya in, um, in Argentina. So yeah. that's one of the concerns is that, and they talk about hitting uh, Israeli interests worldwide. And the uh, and you could have you know other um, flare-ups, but I don't. I know they do not want an all-out war in Lebanon uh, because their investment there is great, and 
the people in Lebanon don't want to see the devastation that will be wrought on them because Hezbollah is part of the government. There just was an election, and Hezbollah yeah, but- controls half of the seats in the parliament. They are part of the government, and therefore no restrictions at last time when they weren't part of it. So Israel refrained from hitting targets that were uh, infrastructure of the Lebanese government. Uh, still, with the threats, uh, you know, for Monday in Jerusalem, and this new threat now from whoever it is, uh, you know, on the Gaza border, uh, that not only won't things light up, but that things are only going to escalate. Well, the, the plan there was to escalate all along and to keep it up even for a few more weeks, and they see that they got uh, sympathetic coverage, despite the fact that it's clearly Hamas and Hamas operatives and sending ch- their own children to the front line to die for, for their activities, just sending these kites over, which are only meant to destroy, and you know people might think that they're not threatening, but when they burn people's uh, fields uh, just before harvest and when they destroy factory buildings and other things, because you send over many of these um, fuel-filled, uh, uh, carrying fuel loads that are on fire, and wherever they land, they set fire to whatever is nearby. So, the you know, people shouldn't dismiss it. It's just another form of terrorism. But we, we um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you can anticipate, and I know that Israel has called up additional troops, some sent to the south and some sent to the north. Some of those in the south were allowed to go home uh, yesterday, but are on quick alert to return, and others are remaining on duty. Oh, and uh, don't worry, folks, I do have a good news story coming up, because I know we got uh, an unusual number of comments last week that we haven't uh, concentrated on good good news recently. But i got to ask you something, and I know that I I do this to you almost every week because I'm so fascinated by it. All this happens, and you explained, and you continue to explain to us the role of Russia or the lack of that of a role that Russia has in Syria. And things are so hot along that border this week. And the Prime Minister of Israel travels to see Vladimir Putin. Uh, what goes on in that conversation? If if the if if you've affirmed for us that the Prime Minister of Israel essentially. Uh, you know, will proceed to do what's necessary in Syria, especially against Iranian installations, whether he has the consent of Putin or not. What goes on in that conversation? With Putin? Yeah. I think that they uh, talk about the coordination and how to make sure that we that there is no involvement of Russian forces and that he says, listen, you stay away from our uh, troops and our infrastructure, the bases that they have. You don't threaten their interests, which includes keeping Assad in power. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I believe that Putin wants to see Iran diminished, that Iran's goals and their goals are not the same, and that they, uh, it challenges Russia's role. And they, the last thing they want to see is, with ISIS defeated, that Iran continues to, to expand and put its radical Islamic uh, agenda into, into effect. Remember, Russia has a huge Muslim population, and uh, many of them were radicalized. Remember, in Chechnya and Iran, and Russia killed tens of thousands of people, uh, supposedly there, and the the, um, the concerns they have about radicalization, which I discussed with Putin back in 1998 already, and he talked in very uh, adamant terms about the danger that this poses to, to Russia. He was then head of the FSB, which was the successor to the KGB. So I think that the, you know, he has 
talked about the fact, he told me once that he told Arafat, if you bomb Israel, you bomb Russia, I have a million citizens there, and um, and I consider it an attack on us if you attack them. Right. So, uh, you know, Russia has its interests. One is that it doesn't want to expend any money there. It's uh, it, it has uh, put in a meager amount of money into into Syria. It has mostly airplanes, very not not its own troops uh, dying, uh, and they had they got their bases. So that's the, they want to protect those interests and the Assad regime. Beyond that, I think they benefit from the attacks on the Iranians. All right, time for some good news. Uh, our very own Yoni Pollock says I must use the sound effects more often, so I have the applause sound effect going on. Uh, Malcolm, Malcolm, we are applauding the fact. That an Israeli company, the name of the company is, uh, hang on a second, Frutarome, has been been sold for $7.1 billion. That can only be good news. That is great news. Uh, You know, Mobileye uh, exceeded that, I think, Insight. Uh, But this is a a fragrance and flavoring company. Uh, Most people don't know about it, but they have worldwide uh, installations. And uh, there were other companies sold for $3.5 billion, $4 billion. And yet, and I saw this in Israel, I saw new companies, and they're all like sci-fi. It's all like science fiction when you see what they're doing in automotive, in, uh, you know, for automated driving, for right. um, the growing uh, uh, cells uh, outside the body, um, fat cells, that uh, uh, they take from fat cells, bone cells, and they're able to fix broken legs, osteoporosis, stenosis, so many things by, by growing your own bone cells. So it's, there's no rejection. It's, it's revolutionary. And doctors here who have seen it uh, are flipping out. And it's only one of, of many companies that are innovating in literally every aspect. So the number of startups, the the number of companies investing from the outside continue to grow. The birth rate, and you look at the brachot that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised, you know, if we keep his laws, the last one is, and that you will be fruitful and multiply. Well, Israel's birth rate now is it continues to grow and exceeding the, the uh, Arab birth rate. And by the way, the Shiite birth rate in Lebanon has fallen precipitously. So, I mean, there are are so many things. And when you look at good news and you think about uh, the fact that the embassy being moved, something that everybody, every president promised for decades, and we should not take any of these things for granted. And, and, you know, just that it's a normal course of events. Nothing is in the normal course. And we should thank the president of the United States. Contact the White House, everyone. Email. Call the White House comment line. Let them know how thankful you are if, in fact, you are thankful for how the President of the United States has acted on behalf of Jerusalem and Israel. Do what the American friends of Atarik Kwanim are doing on Wednesday night at Terrace in the Park. They'll be giving a special award to the President, well, whoever's representing the President of the United States. Um, uh, Malcolm Holmline this past uh, Monday, as we said, spoke in advance of his honorary doctoral recipientship at the uh, Barilan University in Israel, and you launched the new. You helped launch the new Impact Center for the Study of Judaism in Israel and North America. And um, I, you know, I know it's impossible to cover everything, but one of the things I was thinking of: a lot of the leadership, a lot of the leadership that at one point was delivering important national messages 
two Jews in the United States, a lot of them, frankly, have moved to Israel because they saw a bigger picture and understood the future of the Jewish peoples in Israel. And I think that in and of itself had quite an impact over the last two, three decades on American Jewry. Absolutely. And uh, I saw it there amongst the crowd that, that, yeah. that came. A lot of talent there, huh? A lot of talent, a lot of academics, people in every uh, field, uh, and examining the issues that confront us all about Jewish education, about what happens with assimilation, about the the losses that we suffer every day of hundreds of, of uh, young people disaffecting and disaffiliating. Um, but the uh, I just wanted to point out that sure. you know that the Prime Minister of Japan visited Israel this week for the second time that. Prime Minister Abe was there. It hardly makes news anymore. <laughs> Remember what a big deal it was yep. Nahum, when, the, yep. when the first time, because I arranged that first meeting of a prime minister. I had went to see him, and unfortunately, it was the week that Sharon had the stroke. And uh, but um, and you know what they they say the national bird of Israel is the crane. The crane, and I. It drove this time in new areas that I hadn't visited uh, and seen in smaller towns in in every area. It's amazing to see the construction that is going on all over Israel. Unbelievable. And it's beautiful stuff. It's uh, for high-tech, for low-tech, for everything, and, and, and for commercial housing, uh, and for residential housing. It's, it's really amazing. We're going to continue to spread the good news, no question about it. By the way, everybody, in Riverdale, New York, Riverdale, New York, the RJC, the Riverdale Jewish Center, welcomes Malcolm this coming Shabbos, starting tonight. He'll speak twice, Shabbos morning, tomorrow after Musaf, and then again during Shalashudas tomorrow. Uh, go if you're in the Riverdale Jewish Center to hear Malcolm Honline about these and other issues. And Malcolm, please send our best to Rabbi Ganak and his family. He's up there in uh, Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing, thank you, and have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Holm, oh, next week we have the uh, weekly update right before the three-day untif. although I got criticized yesterday for calling it a three-day untif, folks, because it's Shabbos going into the untif should not be referred to as a three-day untif. But nonetheless, we'll have the weekly update heading into uh, the holiday of Shavuos next week. Uh, keep in mind, everyone, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.